Hello and welcome to an updated version of Hollywood Chop Shop. We are your cinema mechanics, Brett Mosier and Travis Santana. Today we'll be jacking into our second installment of the Christmas Come Early trilogy with 2021's The Matrix Resurrections. We'll jump into five point inspection with What is the Matrix? Metabusal? I know Kung Fu. <laughs> I know Kung Fu. <laughs> Fresh paint. <laughs> uh, and that's the sound of inevitability. But before we do, let's go ahead and check in on the shop. Oh, hey, amigo, uh, Morpheus with the marketing department called again. He's really pushing about the Christmas party prize raffle. Morpheus? The old bald guy? Kind of heavy set? Yeah, well, no. I mean, he's our age, and I honestly, he's he's pretty fit. Does his dad work in marketing, too? I, I could have sworn. Dude, I, who cares about Morpheus? Point is, he wants a list of our prizes so we can run some promotional ads for, uh, you know, the shop. Yeah, no sweat. Uh, I've already got a few items here. Uh, check this out. Uh, a rat maze? We we kind of been there and done that, haven't we? Yeah, but we could swap it out with a white rabbit. Hey, nah, don't worry about it. I've got I've got just a thing. How about two season tickets for the Beelin Buns? Beelin Buns? Never heard of them. How about... Week vacation to... You know what? Never mind. I think we're getting too meta with this. What if people haven't listened to our old episodes? Maybe we could, like, intercut some of our old episodes into the... Uh, I'll be right back, man. I gotta take this. Uh, Hollywood Chop Shop, this is Travis. Mr. Santana, this is Brett, too. Brett, too? Dude, you're still around? I thought this was kind of just like a multiverse crossover exclusive. Uh, multiverse, Matrix, Tomato, Tomato. You need to listen carefully. Look, Brett won, and I, we're, we're planning the Christmas party, and we still have to review the movie this week. We don't have time for this shit. Uh, hello? Motherfucker. You know, Brett, dealing with just one Brett Mosher is plenty. Uh, you need to tell your interdimensional self to, uh... What the hell? Wait, wait what, what's the notification? Our review of Matrix Resurrections just posted in our feed, which is a little weird because we haven't recorded it yet. I mean, dude, I just got off the phone with you. What if we have already recorded it? Well, let's take the red pill and listen to us as we review the Matrix Resurrections. Neo and Trinity find themselves on the other side of destiny. Having completed their primary objectives, they now live as shadows of their former selves. Why have they returned? Who or what has brought them back? In order to understand the mysteries of the new Matrix, you'll have to decide if this reality is one worth accepting and see just how much further the rabbit hole can go. 
All right, Travis, before we get into five points, I'd love to know your quick diagnostic of this. Um, I want to save a lot of my uh, comments on the movie for, for our five points. But what stuck out to me just as an opening, I feel like we have two real commandments here at the Hollywood Chop Shop, and that's one, keep your runtime efficient, you know, two hours or less if possible. Mm -hmm. And be careful about reminding your audience of uh, better versions of the movie that you're trying to make. Especially if that better Uh, version is the version you've already made. Yeah, and so this movie is two hours and 28 minutes, so fail. And uh, it literally intersperses countless clips of the original trilogy for the entire runtime. So I'm going to call that a fail. Uh, What about you? Uh, I would say this movie is aggressively mediocre. Um, I didn't hate it. But it certainly isn't one of those things where I really got anything out of it. It is, and we will definitely get into this to five points. I found its <laughs> its use of meta referencing almost criminal <laughs> with how much you decided to. And at the end of the day, I I really want to get into why I think this movie was made because I think that this is a very interesting case study of why this movie was made because as much as i'd love to say oh this was just a soulless crash or cash grab from the studios i honestly don't think it was um i think that this is in this weird venn diagram territory where obviously warner brothers matrix is a huge ip they know they can make a shit ton of money off of it and i think the uh, was it lana um wachowski, wachowski lana wachowski and reading part of the interviews is when she came up with this movie, I think she was dealing with a lot of grieving and, and some issues or just like mental health issues. I think a lot of it, I think started with some of the COVID area. I know that I think she was like kind of locked at home and stuff like that and, and created this story. And I think it was one of those, she needed to create this story and get it on paper to kind of help herself. And then by virtue of doing that, it's like, rather than just leaving it as a unmade script, it's like, well, fuck, let's pitch it to, to Warner Brothers and like you want to make it want to make a Matrix movie fuck yeah let's do it and like it wound up this weird thing where like the movie didn't need to be made but I think both parties benefited from it for completely different reasons and I I don't know your take on it it's just this is a very very strange movie yeah no I think we're already diving into what is the Matrix because literally the question I asked on that category is who is this movie for? Uh, who was clamoring for you know more stories with the Matrix? Because I, I don't know how you feel. We can maybe get into it right now. But the original 1999's The Matrix is a absolute all time classic for me. Do you, where do you fall on that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it was hugely influential on cinema and sci fi and, and a ton of stuff. I mean, like the 99. I mean, it is. A classic movie. 100% agreed. Um, the sequels um, are a mixed bag to me. They kind of go off the rails at points, but they weren't 
hugely successful. I, I wouldn't say either of them were flops, but it was diminishing returns. So it's interesting to me that you say that The Matrix is a valuable IP, and yet the second movie was less influential than the first, and then the third movie made way less movie than this, or way less money than the second. So it is the but, graph was trending down, and yet here we are, twenty years later, but with to, another sequel. To that point, I think distance makes the heart grow fonder, and I think that yeah, those last two movies might have been rubbish or mixed bag, but I still think people have such high regard for the original film that there's enough time that has gone between the third movie, what is it, uh, Resolutions, right? Uh, Revolution. Resolution? Whatever, yeah. Um, And and this one, where people are like, okay, cool, well, like another Matrix movie. And like, there's a ton of like anime and games that came out of it. And like I said, I still, people, it's constantly referenced in pop culture. So I think it's one of those where, I mean, with a good story, yeah, I was ready for another Matrix movie. I like I don't remember. I actually had to go back and, <laughs> and look up a lot of the details of the second and third movie because there's large portions of those movies I do not remember at all, um, probably for good reason. But, I mean, to that extent, I loved the first one so much that I was like, yeah, if we can make another Matrix, why not? Like a, a cool Matrix right now, it, it, would, it would be fun. It's. I guess here's, I, here's, I, here's what I'd say. This this will put it in perfect perspective. And sorry to cut you off. Matrix Four to me was the same as Mad Max Fury Road. I didn't need another Mad Max Fury Road, but guy was I happy because I I don't know about your but I loved Fury Road. I thought it was fantastic. So like, I kind of went into with that that same mindset as like, man, if this Matrix Four is going to be like a Fury Road to me, like I'm a hundred percent behind it. Like this is going to be totally awesome. Wasn't the case. Well, to be clear. Are you comparing the finished product of Fury Road with this movie in terms of quality? Yes. Okay, to be clear, you're saying that this movie is to The Matrix what Fury Road was to Mad Max. Oh, no, 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 no. No, no, no. I'm saying that's what I was hoping it was going to wind up being. Okay, gotcha. Okay. So, 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 yeah, that's that's why I went into it. Like, me going into this Matrix 4 movie was me with the hope of this being, like, Fury Road. Like, oh, man. Like, I wasn't pining for another Mad Max movie when the Fury Road came out. But when I went and saw it, I was like, this is fucking awesome. Like, I'm so glad they made another Mad Max movie. This is fucking dynamite, you know? Uh, gotcha. Okay, so you're, you're talking about preset expectations before yes. seeing the movie. Yes, absolutely. Okay, well, I want to get into Metabucil because I think there's a lot to talk about there. But I want to point out this movie has Lana Wachowski, which was half of the directorial chair of of the original trilogy. Mm -hmm. But I think it's important to point out before we go into much detail, there's a different composer. There's a different cinematographer. And there's a different uh, fight coordinator, the the stunt slash fight choreographer. So I was excited to revisit the IP, but the amount of change behind the camera kind of concerns me. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that being said, I think we have to talk about maybe the first act of the movie and Metabucil fits perfectly. So what do you have for that? 
I mean, my first note is this is, holy fuck, is this a movie that wants to eat its own tail? Like, I could not believe... I've never seen a movie go so heavy into just meta-referencing. And I mean, they're talking... I'm talking about referencing its previous installments of the movies. I'm talking about referencing its creators. Like, the whole, like, Trinity and Neo when they're having the, the coffee conversation. Did you put... You know, was the was the hero a little bit about yourself? I'm like, good. I'm like, I, again, I'm trying to figure out what this movie was about. Like, was this supposed to be like planting, you know, Alana planting her flag somewhere or like saying like, listen, like I look at the influence that I put on the world and here I'm going to try and do it again, or we can't do it again. Like there was just so much weird shit going on at the beginning of this movie where I'm just like, it's like, it's not a reboot. I'm like, I just, I can't tell why we're, like basing so much off of and like the first part actually threw me off in the movie because we're <laughs> we're supposed to be re-watching the first like interaction with trinity and the police from the first movie the only thing is like the actress they chose did not look like trinity whatsoever and like it kept throwing me off i'm like is this is that supposed to be carrie ann moss is that like wait what do you mean that that I is carrie ann moss i don't think that was no i think that was all reshot i don't think that was the original footage no, it's reshot but it's still carrie ann moss at the very beginning when it's supposed to yeah, be sitting the, in and the, the chair motor. and they roll yeah. up on her Oh, I, I just, I, dude, I kept doing double takes and could not figure out. I was like, is this supposed to be from the first movie? Like, it com- it already threw me off that entire scene where I was just like, are we reliving this? What is going on here? I mean, I will say, I think the movie explains that. They're, oh, it does. They literally. To start me off that way, I'm like, what the fuck is going on right now? Which, if that's the point of the movie, why? Like, again, they even go to that whole meta thing, like, no, people like the Matrix because they're all like, what the fuck is happening? They want that mind expl- or explosion. I'm like, that wasn't my mind explosion. I was just like, is this, like, what is, ha-? like, who is that? Because I legitimately did not think that was her in, at the begin- in the beginning sequence. Well, here's the thing. I... I like the opening. I think it's it's misplaced because you mentioned the meta element of this movie, but I think you're underselling it. They literally drop, hey, Warner Brothers is going to make this movie, well, slash video game, with you or without you. You're the creator, but if you don't want to be involved, it's going to happen anyway. I thought that was really breaking the fourth wall, and I I appreciated that. Well, what's interesting, though, is you say that, but, like, I went to see, like, okay, is this going to be another trilogy? Are they making another Matrix trilogy? And basically, Warner Brothers has come out and said, like, we'll make another one if the Wachowskis want to do it. But, like, we're not doing it without them. So, like, is that – was that Warner Brothers' stance? And if it was, like, I would have thought they would have done this a long time ago. So, like, even at that point, I'm like, are we creating a fake villain here with Warner Brothers and like I, I to your point I am surprised they let that line slide but I do wonder if that's true or not oh I, I 100% believe that's true I, I could see them wanting the Wachowskis involved because mm-hmm. ultimately especially with a movie like the Matrix and the cult following that it built mm-hmm. the fan base would follow the directors more so you know, then, hey, if, if we make another Transformers and it's it's without Michael Bay, Transformers fans are still going to come. I feel like the Wachowskis are 
in the DNA of the Matrix as a franchise. So I think that Warner Brothers would constantly be trying to pressure the Wachowskis to come back and make another one. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, Hollywood is as desperate for IP as they've ever been. I feel like maybe this was the make or break. Look, we've been offering this to you for a decade. If you're not going to do it, we are going to make it without you. Because otherwise, I, I don't see why you would put that much of a biting uh, meta perspective into a movie like this. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it very well could be. But beyond that, yeah, I just the even the, you know, you kind of touched on it on the, the opening sketch with the they actually used footage from the previous movies where it's like to that point like it's like they're literally just recycling old material you know at that point they're not even just making a reference back to themselves they're literally just showing it to you yeah and the problem i have with that is and i'll tip my hand and i'll say i love the first third of this movie much more than the rest of it but when you make the first act a deconstruction of what the matrix is. I'm not talking about the computer program. I'm talking about the movie down to what different demographics took from it. If the last two thirds of your movie are just going to be, Hey, everything that we were shitting on and tearing apart at the beginning, we're just going to actually make that for the last two thirds of the movie in hopes that it'll spawn another two movies. It's a weird, it's a weird mindset to be in. Well, and that's like, I don't know if you feel like the opening, that tone, to me, it should have been kept throughout or not used at all. Uh, yeah, I can see that. I, I'll say I, it's, it's hard for me to say whether I enjoyed it or not, because at a certain point, I thought it was a little heavy handed. Like, I know I've made the reference before, but in terms of being kind of meta, I still think 22 Jump Street is one of my favorite movies that's that's kind of been meta where they kind of re-reference themselves and kind of just, you know, just narrative and story. It generally, I think this was almost a little heavy handed for me um, in terms of how meta it was not to say that it wasn't, uh, you know, unenjoyable and Keanu Reeves resuming his role was, was interesting. I, uh, you know, and then basically kind of repeating, you know, it's this, uh, it, again history repeating itself because a lot of you know how neo winds up becoming neo again is very reminiscent and then even to that point they're recreating scenes i guess to try and help re-trigger his memory and stuff like that where at a certain point i could not tell if they were trying to do some kind of weird soft reboot or if this was just again almost as you were saying a deconstruction of what the original trilogy was and what it meant to its creator and to its audiences I mean, it's almost a weird documentary within a, you know, fictional movie. Yeah, 100%. I could feel the seams of the movie that Lana Wachowski wanted to make. And then what Warner Brothers said, hey, we have to have a certain level of world building and possibility for a new franchise. And I feel like it's, it's a collision of two ideas and... Which, if I'm honest, you could say one or the other work, but if you think one works, you kind of hate the other, and it's kind of guaranteed to be a mixed bag. 
Yeah, and I think we're kind of merging into the, you know, that's the sound of inevitability because in going with that topic, what I really wanted to look at was like, to me, this movie is less of a Matrix 4 and more of an epilogue to the Matrix trilogy, as far as I was concerned. Like, to me, it didn't really, it wasn't its own really contained story. To me, it's like, again, it's one of those like, hey, if we wanted to go into the future and find out where some of these characters were. And then we kind of dipped a little bit of narrative to where we could get Neo and Trinity back out because you can't just do an epilogue for a movie that's two and a half hours long. But going in and talking about like, Neo, look what you did, you know, with the the humans and the 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 machines, they were able to to stop war. And then the whole thing where the, the warring factions of the machines, I'm like, that's kind of interesting. I want to know more about that because I just kind of thought the machines were a hive mind. I didn't realize that, you know, they were capable of having factions and stuff like that for them to to be, you know, fighting for resources. And then robot human sympathizers. I thought there was some cool stuff going on with that, which again, you know, it's, you know, general sci-fi things. But and then IO and, you know, was it Naobi coming back? I thought all, some of that was really interesting. Like there was a lot of cool things they introduced in this to your point. Like, is this a springboard to more properties or spinoffs or cartoons or whatever it is? uh that i'd love to see more of at the same time i don't think that there's a whole lot of meat on the bone for this actual movie it just feels like it's you know 50 years later this is what's going on as opposed to actually concluding anything for the the main characters yeah it's interesting that you say this works better as an epilogue if I had my druthers, this would be the sequel to 1999's The Matrix. Uh, we would eliminate those next two movies, Reloaded and Revolutions. Because I, I think the world that this sets up is is a lot more interesting than what we got, you know, back in the early 2000s. 100%. 100% agree. And I um, but at the same I, time, franchise fatigue is real, and you know we can't erase those other two movies. So I think this movie is kneecapped by the existence of Reloaded and Revolutions. Well, it's almost a Rise of Skywalker situation where you now have Lana's coming in, and I think trying to patch up some of what audiences hated about the the second and third movie of that trilogy, so that maybe it is a little bit more of a polished IP to where you can jump off from it now. Where, you know, again, patching up some of the holes that those two movies created. Yeah, no, I agree with that. It is interesting. I, I feel like there there are some rumblings of this being more compared to The Last Jedi uh, in terms of how Trinity and Neo are handled, but we might get into that later. Mm -hmm. uh, but just because you mentioned her, you enjoyed Niobe in this movie? I didn't enjoy her. I thought it was interesting to bring her back. Like, when it showed up, I was like, oh, I'm pretty sure this is going to be a character. Again, had to go back and look because I don't remember a lot from the second and third movie. Um, but I had to go back and like, okay, like, this is interesting. Like, they brought back, like, another character from the old movies to show where they're at. Again, leading me to say, like, this movie's more of an epilogue than it is anything. I thought her character was kind of irritating in... I guess it does show the other side of like Morbius or yeah. Um, he of course wanted to, to stay with the faithfulness to, to what Leo and with the Zeon city. And then she wanted to create something. Say new. Leo DiCaprio. What did I say? I said, 
You said Leo. That was you a slip. Neo. Yeah, Neo. Neo, Leo. Yeah, tomato, tomato. <laughs> I've heard it both ways. <laughs> um, but to that point, you know, I, again, it is the IO is we're trying to create something new here. Like, we have to let go of the past, which, funny enough, was a lot of the themes of the new Star Wars trilogy that they decided to abandon, where it does lead into is this supposed to be a soft reboot or, again, shoring up an IP to where you can build off of it if you wanted to? With stories that didn't have to be Neo or Trinity. Um, well, I'm not going to touch on what you just said, but I thought uh, Niobe, Jada Pinkett Smith, that whole scene was terrible. The old age makeup they did on her was terrible. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She looked like a mummified Jack Sparrow. <laughs> uh, don't know why you needed her in here. It's a two hour and 28 minute movie. Um, I know a lot of times we complain about the runtime, but we don't know where to cut. Cut this shit. Well, if you're not going to bring back Lawrence Fishburne as Morpheus and just going to have a statue of him introduced by Naomi. And she's just kind of a wet blanket on Neo the whole time. Let's just trim that 10 minutes. Yeah, and all I can think of is, again, that had to be this whole meta thing where we have to reference back to, to your point, you can't get rid of the second and third movie from the trilogy, but what you can do is try and patch it up, you know, using pieces of what was there so that it's not erased, but it makes more sense and maybe people won't hate it as much now. Like, let's give it a new perspective. But yeah, to your point, I, I could not... I, it's not to say that I couldn't stand it. I just thought it was like it was very strange in the the prosthetic to make her look old was not good at all. And funny enough, yeah, and as again, much as as much as they showed old scenes from previous movies, they did not bother to show us that because that is somebody if you haven't watched the other three Matrix movies or maybe you haven't like me, couldn't remember. That's one of those like, I'm pretty sure this person was from the other three movies. I can't remember who the fuck this was. Oh, let me look it up. Oh, it was Jada Pinkett Smith. OK, I remember that now. No, they have a shot of her younger. Do they? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, again, it's useless. It's in the middle of this movie that just needs to be cut. But they they flash to a quick scene of the Matrix Reloaded with her in it. I totally must have missed that or just, yeah, was zoned it, out at that point. It's almost as if it didn't need to be there, Brett. <laughs> almost as if. <laughs> um, but I want to get into, and I think this might be a good segue since we're talking about the older movies. The fresh coat of paint. Uh-huh. Couple of notable recasts in this. Do you want to touch on one in particular? Um, I have I have two recasts, which I think there's only two recasts in the movie, so you can go and guess who those are. I ha I wanted to talk about Neil Patrick Harris. Um and then I we already kind of talked about Jada Pickett Smith coming back as, as Naomi. So I oh, think wait, we, no, 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 hold on. Neil hmm? Patrick Harris is not necessarily recast. That's not the two I was thinking about. No, 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 he wasn't a recast. The the recast, I have two recasts, and then I have an additional character that I wanted that I wanted to oh, talk okay, about. Gotcha. So yeah, yeah, no, no. Neil Patrick Harris is not a recast. Well, he was and he wasn't, if we're gonna really get into it. Because <laughs> he yeah. was there. He was there, Travis. He was there when Neo Second. He was he was a robot somewhere there or something. I don't, I don't know. He was he was present somewhere. Um, but no. So Agent Smith, I will say I really did enjoy Jonathan Groff's performance. 
Um, I don't know why we brought back. I guess he's just Smith now. He's no longer Agent Smith. I was pretty sure he died at the end of Resolution. I mean, so did Neo. Right, but they at least kind of explain how Neo, they rebuilt Neo. And so, again, that's super convoluted and doesn't make a whole lot of fucking sense either. And it's sci-fi, and I guess just we, we have to kind of shake it off. But I don't think they ever really established how Smith came back, because I thought the whole point of Neo sacrificing himself was so that the machines could destroy Smith's code so that he couldn't infiltrate the machines. So... I was like, did I miss a throwaway line or something like that that explained how Smith also came back? Or was it, oh, because Smith, when Smith was in Neo, that when they brought Neo back, they also brought back a part of Smith. And if that was the case, why did they reform him? Like, to me, again, that's a whole thing. I'm like, he was the protagonist of that trilogy, but I thought the whole point was for him to be destroyed. And now some, for some reason, the machines brought him back. And like, I get the whole, okay, Neo and Trinity, like they have a special bond, but I'm like, they don't really explain why they needed Smith to be the antagonist for Neo to harness some kind of power either. So the whole character didn't make a whole lot of fucking sense. Did enjoy Jonathan Groff though. What was your thoughts? Well, let me first say, yeah, I narratively, I don't understand why Smith needs to be back. Like you said, I get the whole battery analogy, you know, Neo and Trinity are kind of like the circuit that makes the battery work. That's fine. Smith being back makes no sense. If you told me that Smith is back because Hugo Weaving is available and can play the role okay, I understand why Smith is back because for my money, Hugo Weaving as Agent Smith is one of the most iconic film portrayals of all time. Absolutely. Like bar none. I, I'm i not putting a, a, a limit on a, a year range. Iconic. So you agree? Yeah, and well, I see where you're, I'm going to let you finish. I'm going to let, let you finish. I'm going to let you finish, but I think I know where you're going with this. Jonathan Groff does a great job in this movie. I enjoyed his performance, but he's at his absolute weakest when he, you know, Mr. Anderson, mm-hmm. that's don't have him try to deliver that line. You're, you're, you're handicapping the actor at that point. So I love his portrayal of a, a villain in this movie. Having it be Smith does. It does not make any sense to me. Yeah, and to my point, I I don't think it needed to be Smith. It could have just been a rogue program because at the end of the day, I feel like they, they cast Jonathan Groff because he was not Hugo Weave. Like, they were not trying to, like, replicate that. It was like, we're going to go with something completely different and we're going to call it Smith And because that's the only reason, to me, you would do it that way. But to, to that point, like, why, why does it have to be Smith then? You could have had it be any character at all other than to just say, like, oh, for every Neo, there has to be a Smith. Like, that has to be his antagonist. But then I'm like, where, then what's the point of the, you know, uh, um, analyst? Like, is he actually a, an antagonist? Or I guess the analyst was supposed to replace, who was it, the architect? The architect, yeah. Which, again, I don't know how much sense that makes either. Um but yes, I, I thought narratively having him be Smith made no sense, but I did enjoy his presence on screen. I thought he did a, all of his, his delivery, with the exception of trying to, to do the Mr. Anderson. I 
I enjoyed him. I loved his last line of the movie, his smugness, like, Neo, only one could be you, but I can be anybody. And then he just fucking, poof, gone. I'm like, God, what a fucking great delivery that was. Just that smugness. I'm like, at that point, I'm like, he doesn't act like Smith either. And I'm like, I assume that has to be by choice. It's like, don't even try and pretend to be Hugo Weaving. Like, you're just, you're never going to amount, like, you're never going to be that character. So then again, why yeah. make him Smith? Why not make him somebody else? Well, and my understanding is they wanted Hugo Weaving, but he was unavailable due to other commitments. So it suggests to me that they wrote this in mind for Hugo Weaving, but once you can't get him, it becomes a, a problem. Just, again, rename him something else because, again, it's, it's a disservice to the actor – it sounds like you were able to push past the Hugo weaving comparisons, but the whole time mm. I'm just hearing his line readings in my head and it's distracting. Yeah. The worst line I thought out of the entire movie in terms of that character was when he's looking in the mirror and he goes, they made me even more perfect. And I'm like, was that a thing? I never picked that up on Smith that he was a vain person. Like, yes, he was power hungry and wanted to control everything, but not this whole, like, I'm even more perfect than I was before because now I have blue eyes or something. I'm like, that's such a weird fucking throwaway line like that I don't think needed to be. That was the only time I was really taking it out of him. I was like, that doesn't feel like an Agent Smith line to me. That feels like a, we threw this in here to acknowledge the fact that Hugo Weaving was unavailable. Yeah, no, exactly. And it sounds like it worked more for you than it did for me, but, you know mileage may vary now what about the other big recast with morpheus so this one is interesting i again i enjoyed uh was it yahia i believe yeah, I yeah. yeah yeah okay i try yeah, i legitimately I, I'm not tried to go for his last name but first name is definitely yeah yeah uh, okay, I tried to look that up before to make sure I pronounced that correctly, and apparently I failed miserably, but yeah, yeah. So uh, I enjoyed his performance. Fucking loved his style in this movie. I loved that there was a character that was not just fucking in black. Like, his wardrobe was fucking phenomenal. I don't know if you feel the same way or not. Oh, 100%. I wish I had the budget to dress like that. Yeah, it was fan-fucking-tastic to see how he was dressed. Uh, in terms of performance, like I thought he did a good job. He wasn't Lawrence. I think, I think I was the adverse here with this. I had a hard time not comparing him to Lawrence Frisburne, where it's just like, eh, like you're trying to do it. And again, it was a throwaway thing where it's like, oh, but he's part Smith, part Morpheus, you know. So he's kind of a combination. Like I enjoyed him in the movie, and I thought he had a great presence on screen. Um, in terms of acting, I probably still would have rather had Lawrence Fishburne in, in that role. Those were big shoes to fill, especially for this franchise. 100% agreed. Um, I think in-universe, they did a better job of explaining why he was Yaya and not Lawrence Fishburne. Uh, but that being said, I guess my first question is, have you seen uh, HBO's Watchmen series? I have not. Okay. Well, he plays Dr. Manhattan. I don't know if you're aware of that. Uh, yes, I am. So 
it was weird to me that for probably half the movie, he is kind of a Dr. Manhattan-esque being. We haven't touched on this technology, but programs can now be brought into the quote-unquote real world via this weird CGI effect. Mm-hmm. It's weird that they have Yaya basically do Dr. Manhattan again because he's half CGI for most of this movie. But does he kind of disappear in the third act? Like, what happens to him? He essentially just becomes a tool. Like, he becomes a, oh, he'll be, he'll go into the vents because no one else can fit into the vents type thing. Like, he just becomes a tool for the inevitable, you know, you know, saving of, of Trinity. So, yeah. I, Doesn't that feel like they're positioning that for future IP like hey now he has this ability because Lawrence Fishburne is Morpheus in the first trilogy especially in the first movie he is a major component I feel like he gets sidelined in this movie just to kind of set the stage for hey he could be a CGI character if we get a second and third movie I think after th- I think he was misused in that like they had to come up with a quick like heist version like how do we get them out of here well we'll use Morpheus type thing I think if they were to go forward and actually create more stuff I think he winds up just becoming like almost like a Hannibal Lecter but not evil like it's somebody for the main characters to go and like get wisdom from or to pass ideas on to and then him basically be that guiding voice so they don't even have to have him have a physical body anymore. Like at that point, he is literally you're going and talking to essentially like a god, you know, type thing where there is no body. It's just, you know, a voice to guide you. Yeah, I that makes sense what you're saying. I don't like it at all. Yeah. Um, I'm really waiting for the I know Kung Fu section. So if you have more here, please go into it. Uh, The last thing I wanted to talk about, just Neil Patrick Harris, him in this movie. I uh, another performance I really enjoyed. I thought he did a good job. His uh, I won't say he overacted, but he definitely the the parts of his performance that he exaggerated, I thought were were fun. Um, And again, I say that word fun because it was kind of, I think, a shining light on the movie, whereas so much of this was almost about like depression and stuff like that, like him being kind of the, the wacky therapist, you know, because he has an ulterior motive was fun. I did think I picked up immediately on him having the blue glasses and I thought that was a nice touch. I'm like, okay, we're really going to push the blue and red through the movie. I like when people stick with those themes as a side, because I want to get back to Neil Patrick Harris. I did think it's weird that they made bugs have blue hair because I'm like, well now is she supposed to be a symbol of the false reality? Like, why wouldn't you give her red hair or green hair or fuck anything other than blue? Like we've already established in this world red because Morpheus wears red when he's trying to get him to take the red pill. I'm like, we've already established that red is for you basically for you to come to reality and leave the matrix and blue is to stay where you are. So I thought it was a weird wardrobe choice to have bugs have blue hair. Um, Especially, again, because I did notice Neil, Neil Patrick, the analyst, had blue hair. And I thought that was, again, a nice touch. And then you kind of, like, it doesn't feel as purposeful when you give Bugs blue hair. And that's the reason I'm bringing that up in this segment here. Um, Dad, did you feel about that at all? Or did, did you no, even care? No, you nailed that. I honestly didn't think about the blue hair element, but... 
if color, especially with the Matrix, blue and red, if that's going to be a motif, you have to be very intentional about the blue. Right. And if she's not going to ultimately be a detriment to the mission, it makes zero sense. It runs counter to the story you're trying to tell. Right. And that, to me, that's just one of those like subtle things where I'm like, someone just they just thought she looked good in blue hair, but weren't thinking about the implications because the whole time I'm like, I'm waiting for that to be foreshadowing where she's going to flip the script and it never happened. And I'm like, OK, it just was a misuse of the color blue. Like to your point. Red is for reality, blue is for the Matrix, and green is the digital, right? Like, the colors mean a lot in the Matrix trilogy, so it's just right down to black leather, right? Um, it's just, just it's weird to me that that, was, that that was not thought of. But I digress. Neil Patrick Harris, again, I, I, I think he was a little cartoony in this movie, but I didn't dislike it. What, what was your thoughts? Oh, I, I absolutely enjoyed him. And I thought just the whole therapy angle and, and bringing the mental health and how he kind of – we've talked about this on previous episodes. He kind of has been gaslighting Thomas Anderson or slash Neo, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I thought that was very effective, and I thought that was, again, with this movie it feels – two separate parts the 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 warner brothers further the ip angle and then lana wachowski telling a more personal story i could tell that the therapy angle with neil patrick harris was a little bit more personal and there was a, a lot more thought put into that than the internal logic of this universe yeah for sure but that about wraps it up for me in terms of you know fresh paint just wanted to make sure through some highlights out there, some of the performances I really did enjoy in this movie. Uh, but let's go ahead and jump into the, the our last last point of inspection here. I know Kung Fu. Uh, the action in this movie was absolute dog shit. <laughs> um, I was blown away that we could have a movie that is a sequel to one of the most influential action movies of all time. And we have 20 years of technology and filmmaking techniques. And this is the action that we're presented with. Can I ask you a real quick question on the, I don't disagree with you at all. All right. I do want to ask you this. Do you think that action scenes or action movies in general are diminished when you realize there's no stakes? At a, at a certain point when you realize they're just bullets flying around characters and they're just, you know, basically hollow punches. Because there is not a single main character in this movie, good character, that who dies. dies. Not a single. In the original Matrix, the kid who makes the... die, Like, plenty of characters die. In the, and again, it creates stakes. You realize that there's something going on here. This movie, there's no stakes. No one dies. No one, I think, even comes close to dying. No, that was my exact complaint. I'm thinking about – I'm assuming what production wanted to be the big action set piece in the middle of the movie, the the bullet train in Tokyo. Well, there the, was that – The action is – I'm sorry. Go ahead. 
Well, there was that, and there's also the the weird. <laughs> it made me. <laughs> all I could think of was the Mortal Kombat fight scene between Scorpion and uh, Luke Cage when they're fighting in the rafters and against Agent Smith and the weird French uh, clowns. I don't know what the fuck those were supposed Whoa, to. Be. I mean, don't get me started on the uh, the callback to the Merovingian bringing him um, back. That was um, ridiculous. <laughs> Again, too meta here. Um, but yes, the I didn't. That's what I thought the action set piece was to be, not the the train. But go on about the train. You could say the train. You could say the scene you're talking about. My point is, the first three Matrix films, I can point to an iconic fight scene from each one of them. The first one has the the subway fight. Between Anderson and and Agent Smith, you know Fuck, Neo right? Agent Smith. I mean, yeah, that's the fist fight, but I the gunfight. When do they go through the metal detectors? Holy fucking shit! Is yeah. <laughs> so there's at least two in the first movie. Yeah, the Matrix Reloaded, the the highway scene. Mm-hmm. It's an uneven movie, but the highway scene is one of the best action scenes that I've seen on on film. I don't know about you. Oh, I agree. Yep. And the third movie my least favorite by far, but I still remember the fight scene in the rain at the end with all the Smiths lined up on the sidewalks mm-hmm. to watch it. Th- there's no iconic fight scene in this movie. Like part of the appeal of the first movie, especially is we have wide shots where we see both characters fighting in full frame and it's 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 great choreography you can feel the weight of hey hey they punch and miss and hit a column and knock some concrete out this movie is so tightly shot and and a bunch of quick cuts for the action it doesn't feel like the matrix at all and that's well, bizarre to me it's quick cuts and all of the action was slow to me like, none of it felt fast. I mean, if you were trying to say that it was somewhere between, like, normal speed or, like, in bullet time, like, it just, everything felt slow. And I realized a lot of, like, at least, you know, Keanu Reeves is, is fairly old, so I'm sure he can't, like, move as much as he used to be able to. But, like, a lot of the fight scenes just felt slow to me. Yeah, I was wondering how much of the way this movie is shot is just based upon you've got, you know, Carrie Ann Moss and Keanu Reeves are both in, you know, their mid-50s. They've clearly slowed down. I mean, it's inevitable. But again, we have 20 years of technology that has built upon what you did in 1999, and yet the action is just so... It's the opposite of dynamic. And again, everything is so close up. I don't get a sense of of where anybody is in the action scenes. And I think if you're making a sequel to a franchise who pretty much perfected that style of fighting, it's it's jarring to me. I I could not stop focusing on that fact. Well, I wonder too, and we've already said that this was just Lana. I wonder how much of that did Lily bring to the to the the picture? You know, was that maybe Lily's strong suit is kind of the fight, you know, being able to uh to to shoot those fight scenes. 
And it just was it was never Lana's strong suit. I mean, that's a fair point. But as I mentioned in the open, you know, what goes into a fight scene? It's what you see on screen and it's the score that you hear. This movie has a different composer, a different cinematographer and a different fight choreographer. I mean, you've literally changed all the root elements of what made the Matrix successful, except one half of, you know, the narrative creator. And I mean, I think mm. it's it's painfully obvious when it comes to the action in this movie, because the music doesn't complement the action. The action is terrible. And it's just it's just not shot well. I, I The first trilogy to me at least visually always interested me. There's nothing interesting about this movie. It seems like it's on a, a TV budget to me. Well, yeah. And, and I mean, a lot of the fighting, the choreography alone, again, going back to this, is it their age? How often did Neo use the force push as oh a result of God. fighting as a, as opposed to actual hand to hand combat? Like, especially at the end when it's just like, it was like, let's just throw as many bodies into a scene as possible and make it as chaotic just to show action. But like at a certain point, it was just force push, force push, force push, force push. And it's like, okay, we, we understand that Neo could, could do that. But yeah, it was very strange that that's in an action movie. That's what you ultimately decided to do. And it's weird to think that, you know, in this universe, the matrix is a video game, you know, trilogy, not a movie trilogy. And it feels like Neo is just spamming the special move. Like if we were playing this game online together, Brad, yeah, I would absolutely hit that fucking shield move over and over again because it's effective, but that's not drama. Right. Yeah, I, I have to agree that, that it is sad that a movie that was known for that ultimately. Kind of, I mean, could you imagine if you did Star Wars? after revenge of the sith with that lightsaber battle and then decided to go back to the lightsaber battles of a new hope <laughs> like it's just like what the fuck are you doing like no you you can't go backwards on that stuff yeah and again with 20 years of additional technology you can tell me that this relatively has a smaller budget than the the matrix sequels but again we have 20 years of tech it should look better than this Absolutely. Well, if that concludes I Know Kung Fu, I think we're ready for some Chop Shop. What do you think? Let's do it. Alrighty, sir. This week I got horror, and I believe you got comedy. So who do you want to go first? Um, I guess my first question is how much detail did you put into your chop shop this week? Uh not a lot. I not not a lot. A lot of mine is high level points, and maybe we can dis discuss through it, but I admittedly went the meta route as well and just I you know, I, I planted seeds 
to maybe scenes of other movies that people have seen that will jog at the direction I want to go with this with this new horror matrix flick. Okay, yeah, I'm I'm kind of in the same boat. Uh, I'll let you lead it off. Alrighty. So the first thing I'm gonna do uh, is tell you that um, I couldn't quite figure out how I wanted to get us to the point where I'm starting my chop shop. So there's a certain part of this movie that the setup that isn't quite there. Maybe we can take it from Matrix Resurrections. Maybe not. Um, but we'll just leave that on the table. So my chop shop is a, a little bit of a combination of a, a little indie movie. I'm not sure you heard of called Alien. Uh, Matrix Reloaded and Sunshine. And Sunshine's very light. You know, it's just there's some as- atmospheric stuff in there. You know, crew on a ship type stuff. Just keep Do it in it mind. Kappa. Do it, Kappa. Uh, alrighty. So, again, we're missing maybe a, a solid chunk at the beginning of the movie. A lot of it is going to be that the, you know, our, our teams, much like when they left IO, they are having to go on some kind of mission to save Neo and Trinity. Um, and as such, our film starts after this. The group of ships have found a safe... Uh, uh, all of our captains are now going out of the, the city of Io. They have to go into, you know, that... that You know, the machine zone, whatever the fuck it's called. Um, and what they're doing is, in mind, all of the ships are basically going to connect, like, ports on the side of their ships and create basically a ring. And this ring allows them to kind of generate an additional energy and creates a shield around their giant ring ship now, right? So they don't have to worry about any of the extra, like, machines coming and attacking them. They're pretty much safe, uh, and, and it gives them, you know, some additional power and stuff like that, but it creates one giant, giant ship. Um, all the captains and their crew jack in. So a member of the, you know, they, they go into their mission... Uh, they immediately wind up being ambushed maybe by a group of agents. They get into some combat. At a certain point, one of the red pills, one of the crew members, is going to be possessed by an agent. Um, now, I know in Matrix uh, Res- or Matrix Reloaded, I believe, they established that Agent Smith was able to occupy the body uh, of a person. Revolutions, yeah. Revolutions. The of, uh, res- yeah. Yeah, he's able to occupy Bane. Um, I kind of know that that exists, and I also know that the technology where, like, the programs can live in the real world exists in this, but that's not very indicative to where I'm going with this horror flick, so I decided that that wasn't going to be something that a, a standard agent could do. So the agent possesses the red pill and is able to take over their body in the real world, but they're only able to do it while the person is jacked in so they're they have to be jacked into the matrix and then basically they're able to kind of occupy their body like a husk or a puppet in the real world so you know the uh the agent possesses the red pill and it shoots back to the ship in the real world and you see the red pill's eyes open and maybe some of the 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 green lettering goes across his eyes i did kind of like that visual effect in the in the uh the matrix for when they went to hive mode i will also say one of the coolest scenes i thought in the movie was when morpheus was talking about how he realized that he was in a in a program and the letters were the condensation on the mirror i thought that was a pretty cool shot agreed yeah i love that yeah that was a dope shot just want to make sure i bring that up so uh the green code comes over their eyes. The red pill, now being possessed by an agent, slowly gets out of their chair and walks up behind the ship's operator, 
who is communicating with another ship within the ring, right? The possessed red pill is, you know, is now a little out of focus. Classic horror shot. You see, you know, your person in the fore, bad guy in the background, out of focus. The scene cuts the operator on the other ship just in time to hear the compromised ship operator, uh, the compromised ship's operator scream. The current ship tries to gain comms and uh, starts to reach out to members of the crew that are in the Matrix to see what's going on. In the Matrix, members of the compromised ship begin to just die suddenly without any kind of interaction. And they realize that they're being attacked in reality. So basically, our possessed agent is just murdering people on the ship while they're jacked in. The rest of the crews begin to realize what's happening, and the crew are divided on if they should leave the Matrix or fulfill their mission. Right? So there's some tension here some between the two. Part of the crew is going to wind up going back to try and save the, the ring ship, and the other part of the crew crews are going to wind up staying in the in the matrix to try and fulfill the mission so the rest of the movie is going to play out much like alien with members of the crews returning to reality and trying to board the compromised ship to remove the agent while the other members stay fighting in the matrix so because the ships are linked to maximize power and shield the agent is able to sabotage the comms so suddenly you know our operators are no longer able to communicate with people in the matrix so there's a certain level of isolation there and they're not really able to communicate within the uh with by communicate to each other within within the ship uh again creating this this level of isolation uh, the rest of these are going to be kind of bullet points of scenes that I want to happen at some point. Don't have a lot of connective tissue. I apologize. That's where we're at. Uh, at one, the the cable will kind of become a theme throughout the the movie. Seeing the cable kind of slither, like it's going to wind up being very long and extends, and you'll see the kind of the the cable slithering throughout the hallways and corridors. So you think you know where the the guy is, but of course the ship kind of rings back, or, you know, rings back on itself. Like you you never quite know where he is again very alien reminiscent at one point one of the members is going to go ahead and just decide that they're going to cut the jacked in cord right because if you can destroy that like it's going to kill the red pill but at the same time it'll save all of them but what they don't realize is that the agent has actually started taking some of the cords from some of the other people and started laying them out as traps so they cut the cord and it winds up killing somebody in the matrix instead. So now they can't just go around starting cutting cords because they're actually destroying the mission inside the matrix by doing that. Uh, one member is going to wind up being strangled by the cord. Uh, the, the agent's going to come up and get them after or confessing in an earlier scene that they were actually born in IO as a live human. They weren't, you know, rescued, but, they almost died in childbirth because the umbilical cord wrapped around their neck. So that's going to be some foreshadowing. And then they act ultimately will be killed by a cord wrapped around their neck. Um, and then at one point, uh, one of the ships that's attached to the ring is going to, of course, wind up having to, to blow up or explode because of some kind of sabotage. Cause that's what has to happen in one of these kinds of movies. And then, you know, Oh my God, is the shield going to go down? Can they be attacked by, all you know the the machines outside now uh ultimately the remaining crew in the matrix will have to push or will push and they'll wind up releasing neo and trinity uh not knowing how much time they have again creating this tension ultimately the agent will be defeated when neo and trinity are able to override the agent from the matrix so they're in the matrix they override them there releasing the host in the real world and then therefore now neo and trinity can go off and do their own thing and 
you know, there could be the subplot of them having be, to be saved from the tower or whatever else is going on. But that's ultimately how I wanted to bring a, a horror element into this Matrix movie. Uh, I like it. I think maybe it just dawned on me while you were describing your chop shop. Maybe that should be the destiny of the Matrix franchise because I feel like theatrically the most profitable releases now are horror films. And if you could incorporate the Matrix where you can kind of do anything you want and then introduce the horror element, it, it makes a lot of sense to me. And I think uh, The Matrix Reloaded, didn't they have like a vampire, werewolf kind mm -hmm. of subplot? They were I know glitches, you mentioned yeah. You didn't, you didn't remember it a lot, but do you recall that? Yeah, they were they were glitches in the Matrix, and they wound up being yeah ghosts, werewolves, and vampires. Yes, I mean I think ultimately that's where this franchise should go. Like if if the Wachowskis officially are removed from it, I think the horror element is 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 the route to go. Yeah, and you kind of previewed that a little bit. Well, and to not to bring again more comparison to Star Wars and what it's done, but. That's what was my ultimate hope when Disney bought the entire Star Wars franchise is that we were going to get Star Wars as a subgenre to other like the end of Rogue One with Darth Vader as basically a Michael Myers like, you know, yes. unstoppable. I would love a Star Wars horror movie where it is just, you know, Darth Vader ain't going to get killed. It is just people trying to get away from him would be terrifying and I would love every minute of it. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, we just haven't delved into the IP enough for them to pull that card. But I sincerely hope that that's something that's on their radar because, yeah, yeah. That, that scene in Rogue One is iconic. Well, that's what I'm hoping with a lot of these IPs. Like, okay, if we're going to like stop rebooting them, let's just start making the IP into subgenres. Like, I would love to see Matrix movies outside of the, like just what we get at face value with this uh, sci-fi matrix movie or star wars or anything like i think it'd be fun to start seeing some of these i established ips dabble in different genres yeah i mean it's interesting you say that because this this movie that we're reviewing matrix uh resurrections I much more enjoyed the non-action and just the the first third, the kind of in-universe meta kind of stuff. So I want these IPs to take more chances. Yep. Alrighty, sir. How did you turn this into a comedy? Uh, well, much like you, I, I kind of have the, the skeleton and really... I tried to focus on writing one real scene, but then trying to set the, the background beforehand. So as you stated, I got comedy this week and, uh, the properties that I thought of are, uh, Tropic Thunder and, uh, Entourage, the, the HBO series. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> okay. I'm, uh, I'm ready. Let's do this. Yeah, so just put yourself in that headspace. Um, so Keanu Reeves, uh, again, he's going to be approached to make, you know, The Matrix 4. It's going to be a sequel slash reboot to The Matrix trilogy. Um, 
so production kind of gets underway, but uh, a few weeks into filming, Keanu and, and, and some of the behind-the-scenes characters, they realize that the action is a, a little bit stale compared to the original trilogy. And uh, much like this movie, it's because the original action-slash-stunt coordinator, they're not working on the movie. And uh, in my fictional universe, it's because... They couldn't bring back the original stunt coordinator because he had another job. And his job is he's working with the Mexican cartel. <laughs> okay. And uh, he's providing training to, you know, security of a uh, big time cartel boss. And, uh,. The producer of The Matrix 4, you know, Keanu brings him his concerns. Hey, hey, if this is going to work, we have to bring back the fight coordinator. The producer says, hey, we're willing to pay the money, but he's kind of in an ironclad contract, again, with the cartels. So we're going to cut to Keanu Reeves on a private jet. He's flying to Juarez, Mexico. Uh, and he's going to try to convince the cartel boss to release his stunt coordinator from his contract. Let him work on the Matrix 4. Uh, so we're going to cut to uh, Keanu. He's, he's on the flight on the way to Juarez, but we're going we're gonna to check in on the, uh, the cartel boss. Uh, the cartel boss is having breakfast on his patio, and uh, he's giving a pep talk to one of his henchmen. He says... Uh, Miguel, what's wrong? You've been training for this for weeks. It's a simple test. I'm I'm going to let El Gato Negro go play in the field. You simply have to be fast enough to bring him back. And we pull back from the conversation to reveal an open field, and a servant comes out carrying a black cat, El Gato Negro. Uh, Miguel, the henchman, is uh, sweating profusely. Uh, and the cartel boss gestures to the servant who releases the cat into the field. And the cartel boss gestures to Miguel and uh, he tells him to go chase after the cat. Uh, as Miguel is chasing the cat, the cartel boss receives a call on his cell phone. It's Keanu Reeves. Keanu explains that he's shooting the Matrix floor, uh, the Matrix Four, and uh, you know he needs his original stunt coordinator. Uh, he's on the way down. Uh, the cartel boss says, oh, Keanu, I, I, I don't know. He's been doing a fantastic job training my boys. Uh, the boss turns his attention to Miguel, who has been chasing the black cat in the background of the scene. Oh, yay, Miguel, come on, there is no fucking spoon, he shouts. Keanu, I'm a big fan. Maybe you can come down for a visit and we can work something out. As the boss finalizes his arrangements for uh, Keanu to visit, Miguel dies for the cat and falls on a landmine, and it explodes. The cat runs back and jumps into the boss's lap, and the boss looks over at the stunt coordinator, who shrugs. And we're going to cut to Keanu. He arrives in Mexico. Uh, he has a discussion with his stunt coordinator, the stunt coordinator tells him, hey, he's, I'm desperate to leave Mexico. 
the cartel boss, he's a huge Matrix fan, but he's so coked out and crazy that he thinks it's possible to train to fight the same way as the movie. So basically, the the, the drug kingpin has uh, brought in this stunt coordinator to try to train his bodyguards to fight like the Matrix. <laughs> okay. Um, so the stunt coordinator is going to be explaining to Keanu, like, hey, this... It's impossible. He's coked out. I, I I can't train these people to do this shit because it's a movie. So we're gonna have some some montage here, right here. Uh, you know, comedy wise. Um, we're gonna have henchmen trying to protect the boss by trying to deflect bullets. Like, uh, you know, their convoy is going to get pulled over and the henchmen are going to get out and try to protect their boss by just putting their hand up and they're going to get shot. <laughs> okay. Um, and then we're going to have like an escape scene, a rooftop scene. You know, the henchmen are stealing a bunch of, you know, product, whatever, for, the, for their boss. And their boss is on the headset saying, hey, just... We've got your exit planned. We've got a helicopter over here. You just have to jump from this roof to the other roof. And then we're going to comically watch as these guys who know it's not going to work, but because their cartel boss says so, and, and they'll probably be killed either way, let me try to run and jump from building to building, and they'll, they'll fall to their death. I uh as you said with yours, I don't have a lot of connective tissue, so we're going to kind of fast forward to the fact that Keanu has to get this stunt coordinator out because the stunt coordinator is going to get killed by the uh, Mexican cartel, and the Matrix 4 is going to be a flop because the action is shitty. So we're going to have an action scene at the end. It's going to be comical. And by the end, Keanu and the stunt coordinator escape on a helicopter. You know, the cartel giving chase, you know, shooting machine guns at the helicopter, but they're flying away. And the stunt coordinator says to Keanu, like, hey, the cartel knows who my family is. I'm coming back to America. This is dangerous for me, but I'm glad to be out, and I think that this movie is going to be a success. Matrix 4... It's going to be a big hit, right, Keanu? I mean, you wouldn't do all of this if it wasn't going to be a big hit. And, and as the helicopter flies back across the border, Keanu looks back and he says, you know, we're, we're open against Spider-Man. It's just probably going to be a flop. <laughs> and the stunt coordinator kind of looks at him like, what the fuck? I just risked my whole life to flee Mexico and we're working on a flop. And then credits roll. <laughs> I uh, I like it a lot. I do want to add one more uh, cartel henchman getting killed scene for you, though. Please do. I, I, I think there has to be the one where they try and do the, the classic bullet time where they lean backwards to dodge the bullets. And they're successful, but nobody can pull themselves up from that position, so they just fall onto their back. And then the people who are shooting them just walk up to him and just like the the camera pants to just like basically the 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 henchman's 
uh, eye view, like on the ground, looking up at the person, just like shrugging, like, what the fuck are you doing? And then just shoots them in the face. Like, <laughs> so they're successful yeah, in the. They're kind of like a turtle on their back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, what did you think you were doing? <laughs> yeah, you, you missed the initial shot, but we got you. Oh. <laughs> uh... That's uh. So yeah, that was my thought of a comedy. Again, loosely sketched, but I like the meta element of this movie, so I wanted to continue that. <laughs> I dig it. I dig it. Alrighty, I don't have Blue Book this week because it's a digital release. Well, a it's brand new, and also because it's being released on streaming as well, it'll skew the numbers. But we do have a tag and title. You ready for some tag and title? Ooh, absolutely. All right, here we go. Travis, I'm going to give you three taglines. One tagline from the official movie, one tagline from a movie I find adjacent, and one tagline that I've created myself. What I need you to do is tell me which is which. Revive the source code. It's been another life beyond the one. There was never just one. Uh, Revive the source code, I'm going to guess, is the uh, tagline for source code. Okay. Starring Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, Give me the, the third quote. The third one was, there was never just one. Mm. I think you got me this week. I'm going to say you made that one up. And then give me the second. The second one was, it's been another life beyond the one. Ooh, okay. I, I feel like you stepped your game up this week because you've got me completely thrown off. I, I legitimately <laughs> think all three of these apply. I'm confident in my source code, but other than that, I, I don't know. So give me the answer, Professor. All right, so I'll have you know, I looked up source code's tagline last week for Spider-Man, and it didn't fit. Source code's tagline is, make every second count. Mm, mm. Revive the That's source. That's a good tagline. Revive the source code was mine. Interesting. Okay, okay. It's been another life beyond the one is from Matrix Resurrection, uh, Matrix Resurrections. And there was never just one, was 2008's The Born Legacy. God damn it. Okay. Yeah. Because <laughs> I felt well The Born Legacy was another movie that didn't necessarily need to be made, but it was adding to it an existing IP. Yeah, and it was a failure financially, but I'll... I'll sing that movie's praises. Um, I'm not saying I disliked it. I'm just saying it's one of those, like, I don't know if it needed to be made. (laughs) No, it 100% did not. So well done. Well done to tie in the the themes. Yeah, that's that's good. (laughs) Alrighty. Well, I think we got two more segments here. Uh, We'll go and do time capsule. And then for this trilogy, we had our special Christmas surprise uh, wrap up. So, uh, do you got a, a good time capsule for us this week? Uh, I do. 
well, I don't know, you know, it's up to you to decide whether it's good, but um, this movie calling back to the original, it, it ends with Wake Up, which uh, in 1999's The Matrix was performed by Rage Against the Machine. Do you recall that? I do recall that, yes. Uh, so they call it back here with a cover version. Are you familiar with the cover artist at all? Or what? Well, let me ask you that question first. Are you familiar with the cover artist? Um, if I'm completely honest, Travis, I didn't even realize it was a cover of the song, probably because I dis I didn't like it very much. Wait, so you thought it was Rage Against the Machine playing that song? No, 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 no. I probably didn't even register that it was a song by Rage Against the Machine. Like, I probably just, like, oh, it was okay. so, so out there. It was just one of those, like, this sounds familiar, but I don't know why. So what, what who, who covered it at the end? Uh, it was a band called Brass Against. Oh, uh, she just got in trouble. Yeah, she just got in trouble for pissing on an audience member. Oh, way to way to just step on my time capsule, Brad. <laughs> Let me just read this then. Because uh, my time capsule was going to take you back to November 15th, 2021 in Daytona, Florida. Because nothing fucking good happens in Florida. <laughs> How dare you? Uh, <laughs> uh, Sophia Eurista... The front woman for New York-based cover band Brass Against was partway through a performance at the Welcome to Rockville Festival when she told the crowd that she needed to relieve herself. I gotta pee, and I can't make it to the bathroom, Eurista said in the now viral footage, so we might as well make a show out of it. The rocker then brought a male fan onto the stage and instructed him to lie down before popping a squat on his face as she performed a rendition of Rage Against the Machine's Wake Up. She said, get my man with a can on his head ready because we're going to bring him on stage and I'm going to piss in this motherfucker's mouth, Eurysti originally said before the disturbing incident. So, yeah. Not only did this uh, this front woman of this band piss all over a man live in Daytona, Florida, she pissed on Rage Against the Machines version of Wake Up, and vis-a-vis, here go the end of this fucking Matrix installment. That is my time capsule for this week. Uh, yeah, I remember reading that story and just being like. Wait, I had I had to do a double take and actually read the article because I was like, like she like accidentally or like did she pee into the crowd? Like how exactly did this happen? Like yeah, no, Brett, it's I've it's seen insane. The video. Yeah, no, it's crazy. It's insane. Niagara Falls onto the man's face. <laughs> he smiled though whole time. Oh, he enjoyed it. Yeah, he was into it. That's for sure. Consensual. Alrighty, so we're going to wrap it up, but we got a special wrap-up with this trilogy. We thought it'd be fun to to approach it in the sense, if you were to open this gift on Christmas morning, unwrap it, take it out of the box, what would this movie be? What would it, you know, what what is the gift you've received? Travis, I'm interested to know, what is Matrix Resurrections to you in gift form? Brett, it's a pair of Levi jeans. (laughs) Okay. 
reason being, you know, when I was a young kid into my teenage years, if you wanted a pair of denim jeans, it was Levi's. I mean, that was the, the gold standard. I had a pair of Levi's that I literally wore off and on for 14 years, and they were pure quality. But now I'm imagining, because I've, I've owned some Levi's that I've, I've purchased in the past couple of years. If you get a pair of Levi's now for Christmas, they're just another pair of jeans. The, the build quality is not quite there. But, you know, the new jeans that I got, the Levi tag broke off after about 10 washes. But I was still excited to get a pair of Levi's. I would still be excited to get Levi's for Christmas. I would understand that they're fashionable and they look good, but I would know they're not really going to stand the test of time the way that previous iterations of those jeans and, and, and those denim products in general would. So, yeah, the Matrix Resurrections are Levi's, but they're the new version, which means they're pretty much disposable. Okay. What about you? For me, Matrix Resurrections was a Disney character licensed Star Wars t-shirt. <laughs> so I'm thinking like, you know, Mickey dressed up as Luke, Donald Duck as Darth Maul, or maybe Pluto as Darth Vader, something like that. But essentially... It's a culmination of two powerhouses uh, that needed to get something out, right? You know, it was, it was profitable. There's an audience for it somewhere that wanted this, right? It's not for everybody, but somebody was happy to, to get this. Um, and, and at the end of the day, yeah, I, I just think, uh, again, it's not the worst thing in the world. It's not something I would necessarily want to wear all over the place if i received it as a gift i'm sure i'd wear it at least once but at the end of the day it's just uh, it's it's not what i was expecting you know there's there, there's a reason there's a reason we don't have more disney licensed character star wars t-shirts and that's because they're just they're not good you know everything well, needs to be in more place. than that I think it's a compromise, mm -hmm. right? By definition, you're mashing up two different properties. And and to that point, it's I cho I chose Disney because this was a very Mickey Mouse version of of the Matrix. Again, no characters die. There's no real tension. It is a a very tame version of a franchise we've come to know for violence and, and destruction. So, uh, yeah. Again, at the end of the day, that's I think that's where I fall. Is that a uh, a Disney character licensed version of a Star Wars T-shirt? And ironically enough, we've built a a little bit of a wardrobe here. I can wear my uh, lesser than poorly constructed Levi jeans, <laughs> and then as my top, I can throw on like a uh, goofy dressed as Neo with the sunglasses and the trench coat on. Yeah, yeah and then, sure. fuck it, let's throw on some off-brand Converse, and I think we're good to go. <laughs> you 
you know off-brand high tops and that's the matrix resurrections <laughs> a pair of off-brand high tops yes <laughs> uh so jokes aside final verdict on the movie uh for me i thought as we kind of alluded to it was a very vanilla toned down version of a franchise i've come to expect more from i didn't think it was an awful movie there was definitely highlights there was a lot of performances that i enjoyed in the movie it's another one of these where it feels like it's a springboard to see where if people want more about the machine you know can we get oh can we get a, a terminator fucking matrix mashup here one day um who knows but uh it's it's a little bit it's slow it's got some action scenes but they're not fantastic action scenes and uh it's i think the result of if you're going to try and revive a trilogy or revive an ip what is it 20 years later with the same actors this is probably the best you're gonna get yeah i I didn't dislike the movie. I'll say that. But for a franchise that became part of the, the pop culture lexicon, because the action was so amazing, the fact that this is a terrible, terrible action movie is an unforgivable sin. I like everything that they're doing around the action, but the cinematography, the the action direction is so subpar. Well, I think this killed the franchise. That's that's because which maybe is what Lana Wachowski wanted. Well, and it's at that point, I don't knowing kind of how this came about. I don't think this move this was created as an action movie, but instead they tried to inject some of the old soul into ultimately what Lana would. Chowski was trying to do like this was a story that she wanted to tell from a, a, a place of passion and then it was like well it's Matrix so find a way to throw a couple action scenes in there and, and then we can we'll go ahead and, and green light the budget on this right but that's a big problem that going way back when we reviewed Ford versus Ferrari that the envelope changed hands beyond Lana Wachowski way too much. They're, they're trying to serve too many masters here. Mm -hmm. There are elements that I enjoy, but it's a very incomplete hodgepodge. I think it would have been just as interesting if it had been a story 20 years later and Neo and Trinity had sacrificed themselves. And it was just the result of that sacrifice rather than it being, oh no, they were resurrected by the machines because they're super batteries. You know, I, I think that's it's a weird reason to bring them back as opposed to focusing on the result of their actions. Yeah, I'll be curious if they still try to jump off of this, uh, you know, Warner Brothers without the involvement of Lana Wachowski and potentially Keanu Reeves. I, I I would be stunned if this is the end of this IP. But I think Lana Wachowski did a good job of trying to close the loop on the story that uh, the Wachowskis were trying to tell. Well, it's not a close loop. It's give it a happy ending. That's ultimately what happened is 
it feels like 20 years later, you're like, you know what? I wish we had given them a happy ending. So now I'm going to give them the happy ending. Which is weird because the happy ending is kind of just the same ending as the first movie down to the song that plays us out. So mm-hmm. I, I think in one way it is a happy ending, but in another way, it's just literally rebooting 1999's The Matrix to give the IP a chance to cash in further. Yeah. So. Alrighty, sir. Well, I think that does it for this week. Next week, we'll conclude the Christmas Come Early trilogy with Don't Look Up. It's, I think, at the time of this dropping, it is currently streaming on Netflix, so you can try and watch that before we get to the review. But that's what we'll do next week, and then uh, I think we'll be jumping into the new year with uh, some new trilogies. Yeah, absolutely. All right, thank you all. Hope to see you back next week. No pull cord again? You're killing me, Smalls. Uh, no, I was looking for it. Yeah, no, that was the part where I uh, printed out my notes like a Neanderthal and I was going to write in my, uh, my pull quote, but I didn't do it. What's the quote? Or the game developers called Des Machina. No, it was definitely going to be... Uh, oh, you know what I was going to do? Actually, let, let, give me one second. Do you, while you're doing that, do you find... Or did you take your headphones off? Yeah, you did. Fuck me. I think I'm alone now. There's just one of me. I have zero tolerance for anything that requires a syllabus and a highlighter. Love that line, because that's the thing I hated about the fucking second and third Matrix movies, the whole fucking philosophy books and shit that they released (laughs) on it. Shut the fuck up. It's, It's still just cash grab IP. Just one more note I want to say while we're on here. Do you think it's weird that the agents are programs in a world they've created, but they're less accurate than stormtroopers? <laughs> Dude, that, just... that was another point about my action comment in this movie is like on the train scene, they're literally in a train car and there's like 45 people and they all have automatic weapons and no good guys get shot. Mm-hmm. Well, they got that good guy force, you know? Yeah, God. Again, just spamming the fucking force shield shit. I also thought it was funny. The whole point of the Matrix is that people don't realize that they're in the Matrix. But wouldn't swarm mode fuck that up when you've got people that are just diving out of windows as bombs and stuff like that? Like, how do you explain that in the Matrix? Like, how do people not question, like, oh, wait a second. This, yeah, there's something the fucking weird going on. Yeah, story to explain that? <laughs> yeah. What point do you just have to blow up the whole fucking city and be like, yeah, it was a gas leak. Ugh. They should not have revealed that the Matrix was real as early as they did. I thought by having the goddamn, we didn't mention this either, Bugs Bunny, another WB property, 
you know, the character the, with the blue hair. Wait, what? She was called like Bugs. Oh, for yeah, Bugs, Bugs Bunny. Bunny. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. What's Sorry. up, Doc? Yeah, you should not have had that scene. You should not have had that first. That reminded me of Predator, where you see the spaceship come to Earth. Save that reveal. At least let us spend the first 30 minutes of the movie thinking maybe they're going to completely deconstruct the Matrix. And none mm -hmm. of that shit was real. But by doing it in the order they did, it was clear they were not going to go that route. Yeah. The other thing when she pulls the tattoo down, I have a tattoo of a white rabbit. I'm like, is this a relevant symbol to anybody? Like, it's just a fucking tattoo. Like, I could probably go down to the beach bars and find someone with a white <laughs> rabbit fucking tattoo right now. That doesn't mean that they're not in the fucking Matrix. Oh, no, Brett. If you, are you kidding me? You've gone to a beach bar and you haven't just followed the person with a rabbit tattoo and chosen to which, make them your uh, your savior? That's the problem, dude. There's more than one. I don't know which direction to go. I feel like I'm being misled. You know how many rabbit holes <laughs> I've gone down now? Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and take the red pill and listen to us as we review... The Matrix, Resur Matrix Resurrections. 